the bags and moved down to Florida. And I've been blue since she went and gone. And this Bowling Green Motel room is now my old Kentucky home. All right, we're back another week. Uh, this week's guest, we've got Tim Carley from Summerall, Mississippi. Uh, Tim's got undergraduate degrees in biology from Mississippi State. He's got master's degrees in forest management and business administration, also from Mississippi State. Registered Undergraduates from Mississippi College. That's right. No worries. Dang, man. Registered forester, real estate broker in Mississippi, owns Southland Forestry, Southland Properties, and Southland Reforestation. He and his wife, Mary Margaret, have been married for 25 years, have five children ranging from 15 to 22. So Correct. Glad to have you, Tim. I'm glad to be here. And on a personal note, Tim's been a dear friend for a long time. He's actually my Bible fellowship teacher and small group leader for, I don't know, a while, a few years. It would have been five or six years, six or seven years, something like that. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. So Always a lot of fun. So glad to have you here tonight. We'll talk about some land management stuff. Um, also, obviously, got Matt and Hunter here. As always. Yep. And Matt and his son just got back from a late season, or I guess end of the season duck hunting trip. Yep. It was a great trip. Where'd you go? We were just north of Greenwood. How many birds did y'all kill? Uh, we killed nine yesterday, and we we killed one this morning. At 8 o'clock, I packed it up this morning. I said, that's we're not seeing anything flying. I, all right. So, we, we played baseball this weekend, So, right. and it, I froze. It was miserable. But while we were out there on the field, there was a couple of times where I heard ducks back behind the field. And I thought about it. I was like, it's finally duck hunting weather for the first time yeah. all year. Yeah, he's 10 years old. We had a wind chill of like 17 Saturday morning. He did great. I took a heater. My heater wouldn't work. New gas bottle, everything. So I was like, man, I hope he can do okay. He was fine until like 9.30 in the morning. He was so good. something about kids, or at least mine, mine will leave the house and be 25 degrees with shorts on. <laughs> I don't understand it. Are yours like that? Or were uh, they when they were younger? Uh, yeah, more so now. My wife's really cold natured. I have my, I have five daughters, and none of them enjoy hunting and fishing. Uh, but but they are w- w- like when we go snow skiing or whatever. They they don't go in shorts. They they are prone to be <laughs> yeah. But they they don't love the cold weather. My Mackenzie, like in the morning time, when we get, I take Mackenzie to school, and she'll get in the car all bundled up because her mama makes her. And then when she gets out of the car and goes in school, I'll check my back seat and notice her jacket's back there. Like she'll take it off intentionally and leave it. She just doesn't want to wear a big jacket in school, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But, well, we know you're. I don't have any kids. Yeah, I know. I don't know. All right. First things first. Idiot of the week. All right. This week from Pennsylvania. The headline. This one's a, this one's kind of bad. Pennsylvania hunter. Shoots his neighbor instead of the deer. <laughs> okay, so 40-year-old man has been arrested for what they say is accidentally shooting a man instead of the deer that he was targeting. Uh, the victim was an 81-year-old man that didn't die, so that's a good thing. Um, but the accused... Shot at a deer with a forty-five caliber pistol. So he had to be able to see the guy. This was a murder, attempted murder. <laughs> this was not with a nineteen eleven. Like what other forty-five caliber pistols are there? Forty-five 
caliber semi-automatic pistol. He was shooting a 19. He was deer hunting with a 1911. Right. Yeah. Opportunistic. <laughs> yeah. So he was at the bottom of his neighbor's driveway, spotted the deer, hopped out and fired, got back in his truck, went home, and then walked over to his neighbor's land to get the deer, and instead found his neighbor laying on the ground. So he was trespassing to boot. I'm assuming so. <laughs> so uh, he was arrested, charged with recklessly endangering another person, uh, taking a, or taking or possession of wild game. For, I don't know why he would have been arrested for that because he obviously didn't shoot a deer, but. Uh, I mean, if you have a 45 and you're going to shoot at a deer and you hit another human, you had to have been able to see the human. You would think. Or you thought the human was the deer? Is that, what, I mean, is that what's happened bad. here? I'm thinking that's pretty bad. I'm sitting at the bottom of the hill looking up at the hill and the sun's maybe in my eyes. And mm. I'm trying to I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt, to give it it's tough. The doubt. I mean, if, if they would have said he hit him with a, a rifle at 270 yards at a deer running, you know, that would have been like, oh, yeah, he probably didn't know what was behind that deer. Right. Yeah. But with a forty five, it's like you couldn't see 40 yards. He was also charged with unlawful presence of a loaded firearm in a vehicle. I didn't know that was, I mean, that's... That a, must be, a, that's got to be a state thing. That's yeah. what we talked about before. Right. You can do it in Mississippi all day long. Yeah. Uh, unlawfully shooting on or across a highway. Use of a semi-automatic rifle or pistol. And propulsion. <laughs> this is a good one. Propulsion of missiles onto roadways. <laughs> <laughs> like, who wrote that law? I don't know. Why did they have to write that law? You know, Propulsion of missiles yeah, on the roadways? Yeah, this guy keeps shooting missiles across the road. I've got an entirely idea of missiles than these people do. Yeah. So is the is the greater charge the the, the, the one that's... I think that's going to be... All right. It, 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 yeah, it listed. Maximum penalty? Do you know... Look, are you up to date on Pennsylvania law? Can you, no, can you speak to this, Ben, please? Cannot speak to Pennsylvania law. I'm going to guess that the highest charge on here is going to be recklessly endangering another person based on the way it's laid out. I'm going to guess that he wasn't shooting at a deer. He dropped his neighbor (laughs) with his 1911. I may be wrong on this, but I don't think that I am. In Mississippi, there's never been a hunting accident that resulted in a conviction of of a person. In Mississippi, I don't, I don't know. Um, I read that a while back somewhere, and which was <laughs> kind of gave you the idea, like if you wanted to take somebody out, you just take them hunting. With you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. still shot him in the head. They're going to look for a motive if, if an accident happens, you know. Yeah, we had a, we actually had a player here um, about eight or nine years ago. He and his cousin went hunting, and he shot his cousin while they were hunting. Right at dark, his cousin came Kill walking him? out. No, but he, sh- he shot him with a with like a two forty three. Thought he was a deer. Thought he was Ooh. a deer. He wasn't wearing orange, and he came walking out at dark, and he shot his cousin. And he took him to the hospital. Well, you know, if you take somebody to the hospital with a gunshot wound, authorities automatically get called. So authorities came. He told him what happens. Next thing you know, a game warden shows up, and he shot his cousin. They both got tickets. For hunting without arms. Hey, I'm so sorry for your injuries. (laughs) That's awesome. Here's your ticket. (laughs) It was also muzzleloader season. So we got a ticket for hunting with a rifle during muzzleloader season. I said, look, the best thing that could have happened in this ordeal 
was that you did shoot him with a 243 and not a muzzle loader. I was like, because if you shot him in the leg with a muzzle loader, <laughs> it would have taken his leg clean off, probably. Mm. So. Oh, uh, I needed great. to correct myself, too. A couple episodes ago, we talked about scoring deer. The eight point does get the fourth circumference measure. Right. Halfway between the, the end of the main beam. I disagree yeah. with that, but that's just what they do. I actually, I actually got a text message about that after it came out. Yeah, that I need to correct myself yeah. on it, yeah. Yeah. Every whitetail every every deer that gets scored gets four circumference measurements on each side. Yeah. yeah. Which is so weird because like what do you do if it's a, a six point? You gotta chop it up somehow, I guess. I don't know. I've never scored a six point. No, I, ain't I don't know why you would. No, I don't either. Oh, come on now. Everybody wants to shoot 130 inch six point. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That'd be an absolute giant. <laughs> I don't know what I was 20 inch G2s. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I talked about this with, with my cousin Brandon the other day, and we talked about like scoring deer. I don't ever remember hearing about scoring deer until I was probably out of college. Hey, Nobody if, ever talked about it. If you got a text about it, call me out because I want to make sure I'm accurate. If I say well, I forgot about it until you just mentioned it. Okay, yeah. That's why I corrected myself because I saw it and I was like, oh, I, I said that Spotify's going to remove our podcast from this information. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think most I, the, the two things that blow up deer that just bad scoring technique, uh, one is that like if it's a 12 point, you keep on giving circumference measurements all the way out and yeah. it's four, period. Right. The other one is that you measure from the, from like when you're measuring your tine length, it's from the top of the beam, I'm sorry, the top of the tine to the to the theoretical place where the, the tine joins the beam. You don't go to the bottom of the beam. And so if you've got a deer with any mass, if you do that incorrectly and score to the bottom of the beam, you give a deer piles of inches that just right. aren't there. All right, I'm glad you mentioned that because I had said, I'd heard people talk about like where to stop at on the beam. You know how the grain on the beam will change? Sometimes like you got, well on the main beam, the grain's going this way and then on the tine, it's going more this way. Would you would you stop it? So if I'm really trying to score a deer, I write on the deer's horns with a pencil, and I would take, I, I would take for those of you you can't see what I, I'll try to describe it. So you would you would imagine if the tine weren't there, what would be the trajectory of the top of the beam? Right. And then you end up if you can be unbiased and draw that pencil mark from the tip of the tine to that pencil mark is right. where it is. And it's surprisingly insulting. Like there are tons of deer that have extra inches because people didn't know how to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. But you know, on an eight point, you got six tines that are, uh, you know, no problem to come up with six or eight extra inches there just because right. you did it wrong. I've always erred to the side of caution when I'm doing it because I didn't want to be that guy. That I score my deer really liberally and everybody else is really, really <laughs> cautiously. <laughs> Super cautious. That's funny. That's funny. Well, Matt's the only one in here that's killed anything worthy of really being scored last uh, year. I was so. telling him that I had, I've had two that were really good that we scored. And then I had them professionally scored, like the Magnolia Records program. Mm -hmm. We were over five inches on one and under five inches on the other. How are you under? That's very rare. I know. I had him at 152, uh, and I took him up there, and they had him as gross at 157 and like 48. So I was like, huh, maybe I just added up something wrong. But that's what I had him at. And what was the other one? The other one, we said it was 176. It was 171. Where'd you kill a 171-inch deer? Uh, Holmes County. Chula, Mississippi. Chula, Kruger, Chula, the cat dude. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, hillside. Yeah, not far from it. We used to have a place that backed up the hillside up there in Holmes County. It was awesome. And it was a uh, to get to really tell you about the the mass and time length. It has a 15 inch spread. That's it. Buddy of mine that I work with in the forest industry, Chad Anderson, killed a 12 inch wide deer this year in Nebraska that scored 169. That's huge. 12 inches wide. 12 inches wide. Wow. 
All right, for you, preference-wise, you rather kill a big wide deer or more of a tight? My dream deer, no, my dream, my, my dream deer is a 180-inch eight-point because yeah. he's got to have everything that, I mean, he's got to be a rock star. Right. There's no way to, he's got to have mass. He's got to have beam length. He's got to have tine length. He's, and, you know, but spread, spread is beautiful on an animal, but, but when you think about animals that end up just looking awesome on the, on the hoof, and then they look awesome when they're in the back of your truck. Right. It's not wit. It's right. Wit makes a great picture, but you know, there's gobs of deer in record books that are 15 inches wide. Yeah. Wow. And it's probably the least useful way to to judge the age of a deer or the quality of a deer or what it'll score. I mean, yeah. It's it's and those deer I was giving you. Those are gross. Yeah. Net they were like. 149 and 157 who cares i was hunting with a group of guys from, i was hunting with a group of guys i was and it was when these guys worked at cabela's and and we were talking about how the boone and crockett scoring system the system itself is a meaningful way to, for hunters to communicate something but it really doesn't like there are deer that just get cheated by that particular system or they can be they can lack mass and have great time. I mean, it's just not a perfect system. And so they brought up the idea of a water displacement measurement somehow where you, you measure biomass or what was, bi you know, it's not living tissue at that point. But you would, you would, you know, just have some type of, it'd be a simple, albeit large, <laughs> vat of water. and With little lines. The degree to which the, the you put those horns, you put the, deer don't have horns, you put those antlers in the water and to the degree that it moves that water level, that's your score. And it take, that would take into consideration the volume of, of right. antler, which is what we want, to, like that's what we want to see is a deer that grew a bunch of volume of antler. Mm -hmm. Well, since we're talking about growing volume of antler, this is kind of, I mean, that's in your wheelhouse, how you do that. All right. I know you talk about, we've talked about nutrition. And, and I learned something in this too was, uh, it wasn't so much nutrition of that buck, but it's buck's, that buck's parents in the years leading up to it. Um, kind of take us through soil, the whole, the whole forestry spill. <laughs> So if we're going to have a conversation about soil in the context of deer, we're going to have to use some qualifying words. So like when I'm talking and if I say something like it's productive soil, we're limiting that to deer, right? So like if, if, I, go to, if I go to central Kansas and shoot a whitetail, those are incredibly productive soils for growing whitetails, but I can't grow watermelons there, right? So, right. They're, they're, so we're just saying narrowly speaking – you, so you mentioned Chula. Mm -hmm. So Chula, it, uh, in Mississippi's a weirdo state in this regard that truly we have some of the most productive deer soils, and we're talking about growing antlers, some of the most productive deer soils in the country, and we have some of the worst in the same state. Mm -hmm. So that's not, so there are better and, and there, there are better and worse soils in lots of states, but I don't know, if you go from the Mississippi Delta, which are some of the most rich alluvial soils in the world and go to the beach at Hancock County like the, this is the the animals that grow there statistically speaking are so very different mm -hmm. and so in Mississippi like you mentioned Chula in Holmes County if you look at a soil map of Holmes County or if you go just above that into uh, 
uh, Carroll County or Grenada County, if you go from east to west across those counties, you go from relatively poor soil to amazing soil. To amazing soil. And that's in one county. An average three-and-a-half-year-old deer on the extreme eastern side of Grenada County is grown on coastal plain soils that are typically sandy, acid, uh, low in organic matter. And he that same deer, had he grown up 30 miles in the same county, or not 30 miles, he'd been 20, whatever it is, if he'd have been in the edge of the Mississippi Delta, the alluvial soils of the Mississippi River, that's a different animal. So I mean, I hunt the west side of Grenada County. Right, right. So, so the the Mississippi is a very diverse county when it comes to to habitat quality. Now, growing a growing a big deer uh, is a lot more than just soil. But generally speaking, I'll tell you a funny story. When I was, I didn't deer hunt when I was a kid. I started hunting when I was into high school, first part of college, and it was about that time a guy, and I can't remember if he was from Ohio, I think he was from Ohio, maybe it was Indiana, but but it was, he killed a huge deer. It, the last name, I think it was Beatty, B-E-A-T-T-Y, and it was the Beatty Buck. Yeah, I've heard of the Beatty Buck. All right, so I can remember knowing nothing about soil quality, nothing about habitat quality and quantity, nothing about management strategy, nothing. I can imagine, like, I could do this in Lamar County, Mississippi. Like, this could happen. And... That's an unrealistic expectation. So that animal, by the way, is a, a freak on any soil anywhere. But you're approaching statistical impossibility if you want to talk about shooting a 200-inch deer in Lamar County. Right. Um, and, so, and that'll never change, right? Correct. We we the just kind of the foundational the, what is necessary for a, greer, a, a deer rather grown in the open. In Lamar County, it's statistically almost impossible that he would be of the nutritional. He doesn't have access to what would be necessary. Doesn't matter if he's six and a half or seven and a half. It doesn't matter if his, you know. Well, I've I've often wondered. Okay, so just free range deer in Lamar County. Obviously, they're never going to look like they look in the Delta. But what if you had? All right, what about a high fence place in South Mississippi? Yeah. How could you grow deer in a high fence place? Well, South they they're going to feed those deer. Well, that's what I'm wondering. Like, if you if you're just constantly putting out food for them, could you make up for it? And that's what happens. I mean, yeah. you you have a captive audience, so to speak, a captive deer. Not. I, I want to be careful. I'm not. I don't think high high fences are unethical. It may not be what I would choose. I, I agree 100. percent But they're legal. Right. Uh, I, I work in three different high fences, and and they're all done really well by you know i mean these aren't tame deer by any measure so it's not my thing but the 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 high fences that i work in there's some combination of feeding but then the deer also have a disproportionate access to the best habitat that can be produced on those soils so like you know soybeans for instance that's a a, you know they're these these particular high fences they'll be uh you know they just have access to much better food, and the quantity of food and the quality of food is 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 better. But supplemental feeding, age structure, uh, those are things that you can monkey with in a high fence completely ethically, and and compensate for the fact that they that particular high fence may be in Pearl River County on coastal plain soils. Yeah. Um, so do you 
I'm sure you know of Dr. Damaris and Dr. Strickland. Steve Damaris was on my graduate committee. Okay. And so I listened to their stuff a lot. Yeah. I actually went to a free seminar that Bronson Strickland did, and you were getting into it. And what it basically boiled down to, and the more I listened to him, was nutrition. And it's not just that buck. I mean, it's generations of nutrition. Yes, yeah, it's, it's that deer. It, it, continuing. Yeah, that doe gets bred when she's healthy. She has a healthy gestation. She has that 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 fawn is dropped. That buck fawn is dropped. He is in the best possible condition. No stress for her. Yeah. She so yeah. It's all it all builds on. They I think I, I know it was Dr. Damaris. He's a super nice guy. Uh, I, I still call him from time to time, and and um, he's always really nice to me. But he's way beyond me. Like oh, he's, these guys know so much. Yeah, he's a <laughs> he's he's such a nice guy. But it, but. They wrote a great article, and it, the, I cannot remember. Uh, you can find it, I'm sure. I don't know if it's on what used to be QDMA, but it was. It's managing expectations. This idea that if you buy, if 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 you if the place that you manage, whether it's 40 acres or 4,000 acres, is on less productive soils, there needs to be. You know, it's just not enough to have 4,000 acres. It's just not enough for that deer to be five and a half. If you're trying to grow, if you're trying to grow 170 inch deer. It doesn't matter how much land you have. It doesn't matter. I mean, you know, a high fence is a different story. Right. But now, also managing expectations on these incredible places. So, one of the, perhaps one of the drawbacks of the TV industry has been that it has created the impression that if you just make a bunch of right decisions, all along you're going to be shooting some 190-inch deer. And that's not true either. Well, you're on TV, you're only seeing part of it. You're only seeing part of it. So you can go to the Mississippi Delta and buy a big place and do everything right, and the average mature deer there is not 160-inch deer. The average mature deer there is, is 135-inch eight-point yeah, yeah. that because of the way we've perverted what we do in hunting, we turn our nose up at, and it's... I do not. Yeah, I right. smoke 135-inch eight-point. <laughs> I'm just putting it out there. <laughs> yeah, and, I, and but... The, the point is you have to manage expectations and shooting a giant deer is really statistically very difficult to do and and that's like you're talking about curbing expectations i think my expectations for our place in the south delta have been too high because we haven't killed a buck off of our place i take it back we've killed one that was over 140 inches and i thought when we got that place we had but even in what you just said, Ben, like we've only killed one over 100. That's a great deer. No, that is. It was. I think it was 150. A lot of people don't deer. kill 140 inch deer. No, and I've never. I haven't killed 140 inch deer. But I thought when we got that place in the first time riding around us, right on the Big Black River, I'm sitting there thinking, man, we're going to be knocking down 140s, 145s, like every year, and it just hasn't happened. So and let's let's talk about the Big Black River. Okay. So technically not the Delta, but let's talk about let's talk about the big. Unless you. Do you hunt where the Big Black River falls into the Mississippi River? Just before, it's just south of Vicksburg. Okay, so those would be technically, I think, probably thick lust soils, but the, that's not important, perhaps. the The Big Black River is a great example of how I mean, it's it's a study of soils. So, Hines County, Mississippi. On the north and west side of Hines County, Mississippi, you have the Big Black River. On the south and east side, you have the Pearl River. And the average, so I don't have any empirical data here. I'm just, I just anecdotally believe this to be true. On those deer that are grown in the, on the alluvial system of the Pearl River, so there are lots of deer that, that 
spend a great majority of their life eating on those sandier, less fertile soils, same county, because of the parent material of the, of the, of the alluvial material of the Pearl River versus the Big Black River that's not very far away at all but has a higher percentage and spends more of its drainage comes from a, a slightly better soil and that's what gets deposited that parent material gets deposited and, and, and it crosses a great a, a more new, uh, productive soil region in and of itself and right so we, there's layers of this and the Big Black River is now the place if you want to kill a big deer and you live in Jackson, Mississippi, or if you have wealth and you want to own a place to kill a big deer, you've got this cooperation of landowners, not all of them, but it's very likely that your neighbor has the same idea that you have, shifting age structure forward, so you got soils and age structure, you got the management of you know, people going on there, and it's an important, it's a great place in the state of Mississippi to kill a huge deer, even though those soils by lots of metrics aren't as fertile as delta soils yeah well I, and i thought that too when we bought that place that that we would have neighbors around us that we're going to kind of do the same management program as us and then i found out later on that we didn't and yeah. i'm thinking okay we've got a thousand acres and it's kind of sandwiched in between two people or three people that aren't going by the same management program as us and i mean i'm sure that's contributed to us not killing as big a deer too but We've tried to shoot four and a half year old bucks or better. Like the hardest deer to pass in the woods it, for anybody, unless you're just. Have, and I'm not saying I'm there yet. Twenty inch, three and a half year old. The three, the three and a half year old deer. I've shot deer. a couple of them. I know. I oh, I have too. If, if there's one, if I have a bow in my hand, and it's a three and a half, three and a half year old, twenty, hundred twenty inch deer, I'm probably. If you put a, if you and put hundred thirty inches of antler on top of a hundred sixty pound deer. Yeah. and march him out there it and you're on a place that you've got pictures of the, like that deer's in great danger yeah. and yeah. and it's a when, if you harvest that animal he is gone mm-hmm. like that's not one that's gone and so back to great articles I would I would commend the article about managing expectations that I believe it was Bronson Strickland and Steve Demers that wrote it but I will also commend an article that they wrote uh, about this myth of stockpiling bucks we imagine that when we don't shoot a deer that he's there the next year and the next year and he's yeah, going to grow true. and that's not the way the world works and I thought that too I thought having that much land which now that the more I do it I realize it's not that much land in the grand scheme of things it's about a thousand acres. It was, and then we sold yeah, thousands. So, <clears throat> I mean, and if we have about a thousand acre club too. You, you you don't have any deer that live just on your land. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna push back now. Okay, now, you think so, on I'm, thousand? So I'm I'm on. So this is. Uh, you need to have Steve Demaris on this show or Bronson on this show and ask him some of these questions. What do you think is the average buck's home range, like where he stays? I think it depends from buck to buck. I mean, that's true. I've seen the data on that. I've seen the ones cross the river. And then they had one that had never in his entire life left 512 acres. So I, I, so when you say, so I'm not saying that this is the norm, I would push back and say that it is possible that on 1,000 acres you have a deer that lives a very large proportion of his life confined to that. I should have clarified. You can't manage the deer that you think are your deer on 1,000 acres, in my opinion, because if, let's just say on average the deer density is what per mile? It would depend on the soil in Mississippi. West Grenada County. Was, uh, high. Okay. But of all those deer, though, realistically, how many of them never step foot off your property? And how big is the acreage we're dreaming about here? About 1,200 acres. 
I would I, I would have no way of knowing that. But, but I, I would guess that it's most like most do. Yeah, like ninety five ninety five percent of the deer that frequent that land frequent other land too. And my opinion. And so this is science. I'm that, not a scientist. So this is science. So where you are right there in Grenada, that first week, that that those first two or three weeks of December, when when the breeding period mm-hmm. is occurring, they're much more prone to be yeah. moving, and they're much more prone to be, you know, the idea that I'm gonna let a deer walk, with the expectation that I'm gonna have an opportunity to harvest him in the future. So you gotta let them walk to let them get a year older. But mm-hmm. everyone you let walk does not get a year older. Right. And, and that's one of the that's great frustrations. That's us. a good point. Do you guys flood? No. Okay. Sure you do. You're on the Big Black River. We didn't. We, well, this year. Like once every five years do you flood? or? Uh, well. Like we flood. The only time. And that's when I know that I'm like, well, I know the deer have moved. <laughs> We've had it for six years now. Two of the years it flooded. Okay. Yeah. So yeah but you but that was really when the backwater flooding happened. And we probably had, the, the real bad year, we probably had 200 acres of flooded. So what you've got there are tremendous soils. They're just tremendous soils. They just are. And you've got a pretty large place, quite honestly. And we did. <laughs> uh, now we have 495 acres and no house on it. And I slept in a tent all year. And, uh, I'm a big fan of cooperatives, just guys getting together. So mm-hmm. I own. 150 you own 270 you own a thousand you got the rich guy that bought a big place and and this is not a perfect system but it can be really helpful for guys just to sit down and have just a conversation about what does a win look like and what you're going to find is that lots of people will say i want to kill big deer they'll say this is what i'm going to do and they don't do that in practice some reason sometimes they don't do it in practice they'll never do it in practice they just get excited or there are a myriad of reasons why people they they bring guests they whatever none of that's wrong none of that's right. wrong but what i do think you'll find is that if you if you have those conversations and, and and you're kind and polite and well-informed and not judgmental and all those kind of things you can probably in in a cooperative move the needle like right like the, it, I, that, agree, I agree you got to be respectful about it but uh yeah i agree and but, the, especially with the new landowners that we have there now and and i haven't met them but from the other guys that hunt with me, they talk like they kind of were going to go by the same things that we did. I never had a conversation with them, but I mean, the property that we had is essentially split down the middle now between us and them. Right. So, and my thoughts were, okay, it was kind of hard to manage this place or to let deer walk when we had the whole the whole right. tract of land. How much harder is it going to be now? We're, that we we're back to managing them? expectations, aren't right. we? Right. That's right. Yeah. And. I think that I probably went into the woods this year with the idea that I was going to shoot a deer that I may not would have shot last year because of that. Well, I, t- and I don't know if that's the right way of thinking or the wrong. Miss- or the Mississippi way. has, uh, you know, game laws across different states vary a lot, like a lot. So Mississippi, by the way, I would just like I don't know who will hear what I'm fixing to say and I'm not pandering to anybody I'm telling you Mississippi has one of the best depart like the, the Department of Wildlife Fisheries and Parks in the state of Mississippi they have real scientists they care about data uh, you know in my hunting since I was let's say 20 until I'm, I'll be 50 next year so in the 30 years that I've hunted the average harvested buck in the state of Mississippi has gotten 
significantly older. Like we've done a lot of good education. They have done a lot of good education. But in the state of Mississippi, we value the opportunity to hunt. And so what that turns into is, and again, this is not a, this is just the reality. It turns into, I can shoot three bucks. It doesn't matter how much land I own. I don't have to own land to shoot three bucks. I just have a license and have access to some land to hunt. And so you, if you grow up in Mississippi, you probably got to hunt. You probably got to harvest deer. And, and, and there are some great things about that model. The, the philosophy of the department and, and legislature, like, this is what we value. Um, if you go to Kansas, for instance, as an example of that would be a, a state on the other end of the spectrum, I could own 10,000 acres. You know how many bucks I can kill every year? One. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I want to invite my friends from out of state, maybe, maybe not. They may not draw. They, you know, it's not an over-the-counter tag. Um, if I'm an out-of-state landowner, I have to own 80 acres before I can be guaranteed a tag. Otherwise, I'm drawing like everybody else. I've often wondered, uh, what would it look like to take the Mississippi Delta? And, and by that, I'm talking about a geographic area that's from the toe of the slope right there at the bluffs in, mm-hmm. in Grenada and Carroll and mm-hmm. all those count, Holmes County. And you go all the way to the Mississippi River, a huge land base. What if you just took that, those soils that are just incredible? And you just put, for lack of a better way of saying it, Kansas rules on that part of the state. If you say, so How you would, good could it get? It, it and it would be incredible. Well, that was kind of what I was fixing to ask you. We did an episode a while back, and we were talking about Mississippi becoming a destination deer state for people. And we sat here and talked about how could we make it a real destination deer state nationwide. And and you're talking about soil. Well, obviously, South Mississippi will never be. A destination state because of the soil but we talked about the delta what could you do different in the delta these are the opinions delta? right so this isn't science no, no, we're, right. we're just talking smack right, right now just, yeah uh you would you would limit the number of people who actually could harvest a deer in the delta and so you would do that by obviously it's difficult to say to landowners you can't hunt so so you know, I'm I'm not trying to say we should copy Kansas. I'm saying though, but Kansas seems to make sense. You got to own some minimum amount of acreage. You can't just pull up to the Walmart and buy a hunting tag. There has to be some like there's a process that you go through. And then I would say the other thing that would be brutally painful is you get the rifle season out of the rut up there. You, yeah. You 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 got you know when those when the peak breeding is going on and especially those weeks before and the weeks after that bell that bell shaped curve of of breeding, you it would be an archery time of the year and it's like let's it's just harder to kill a big deer with a bow than it is with a rifle. He's he's a, that's a great picks idea. up a rifle. So Tim never picks up a bow now, do you? Uh, well, now that I've started in Mississippi. No, I haven't bow hunted in Mississippi in years and years and years. Yeah. But I, I, I love for, bow hunting, but I do rifle hunt too. I hunted ten days in Kansas with a bow this year. Didn't kill a deer. Went back, so I own a place there. It's not a big place. It wasn't an expensive place. Eighty point one acres. <laughs> <laughs> he said it was eighty acres to get a tag. <laughs> so I can go back. Uh, if if you don't own land there and you're out of state, mm-hmm. you can't go bow hunt and then go back and rifle hunt. So just to be clear, I wasn't breaking the law. I went back with rifle in rifle season. All the deer were busted up. It felt like this year. It's not true. They were no more busted up than they normally are. But the deer that I was seeing that I would have, have wanted to kill 
were were busted up and I hunted for five days and, and came home. But age structure is very different. You know, uh, I hunted, uh, here's a fact, I hunted five days morning and afternoon with a rifle and I heard one gunshot. Kim Biggs, my neighbor to the south, killed a incredible 160-inch, not one scratch on that deer's antlers. I put the tape on it, 160-inch, 10-point that was clean as a whistle. F- fantastic animal. It's the only gunshot I heard. What do you put him at, four and a half, five and a half, something like that? Uh, I mean, for, let's just say, I mean, it, I know people talk about growing 160-inch, three-and-a-half-year-old deer. That's a statistical freak. Yeah, right. So the deer was almost, I mean, it was a mature deer. I yeah, mean, just yeah, yeah. If, if we... That's another thing that's hard, I think, too, is is aging deer on the hoof. Uh, but we all act like we can do it. I, I've, I can't. Well, I, I've gotten better at it, I think, just from you know going more and actually watching deer more. Um, but I feel like I'm better at it in the Delta than I am down here. I feel like a South Mississippi I can tell deer you, looks a lot different at four and a half than a Delta deer at four yeah, and a half. Yeah, I can tell the difference typically from two and a half to three and a half. Yeah. But after that, right. not totally. I can't tell you a four and a half from a six well, and a half. So, to, to, so again, I'm not making a claim that I'm some kind of – I'm just saying that in, in my hunting situations – it helps a lot to have a bunch of pictures of one deer to look at. And mm-hmm. we can we can get into a big com- yeah, conversation yeah. about game cameras, but one of the things that they make possible are outside of the excitement of the moment of hunting. And we can argue if that's good or bad, right? I mean, some people can make a pretty good argument that game cameras have stolen some of the excitement of hunting. I don't know. We, we did a whole episode on That's that. him. <laughs> so, But if I have an inventory of the bucks, you know, a lot of research about what percentage of deer you can get on camera if you you know camera per hundred acres and bait them you know have a bait station and then at some point you put a camera on it and go back and check it and you can get a, a pretty a very respectable inventory of the bucks on a property doing that and it's a process and it takes more work than most people are willing to do but if you've got multiple pictures of a deer and I can sit there and just study the animal right and not yeah so that's really beneficial when it comes to when when i'm in the woods and i'm a place where i've never hunted or i don't have pictures of deer there like i have three categories basically i have the no chance that i think that's a mature deer he's plainly a one and a half or two and a half year old deer and then there's another category that's almost as easily it's the that deer is for sure mature Mm -hmm. and a lot of time that's his presence in the wood like they're they're just different animals in some regard to me but I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, three and a half, four and a half, like... That's what I was saying. Like, I, I know when they're, for the most part, when they're two and a half. And I usually know when they're three and a half or better. But between three and a half, four and a half, especially, I mean, sometimes, you know, 120-something inch deer. Well, that, and that's a four what, and a half year old. That's what I was saying. We were trying to kill <laughs> what we said four and a half year old deer or better. And I know I shot some three and a half year old deer because I kind of got to the point where, all right, I know that deer's more than two and a half. How excited did I get? Right. If I got really excited, I shot the deer. If I didn't get that excited, I yeah, passed we, it. Well, I, we've all done ourselves a disservice to some degree. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I want to kill a big animal, but we've all done ourselves a disservice. I mean, I think all of us can go back to a picture of a deer that we killed when we were younger. For me, it was 19 years old. It was a three-point Hickory Grove community, Lamar County, Mississippi, and I was just as happy, maybe more happy, about that animal 
and and killing that deer. I can remember where I was sitting. I could take you back to where I was sitting when I shot that deer. Yeah. And and paraded it around in the truck. Wanted to show it to everybody. Had no idea how much I would ruin the fun of it over the next right. thirty years of my life trying to figure out. You know. I know right. exactly what you're saying. So, well, let's take a break real quick, and when we come back. I want to dive more into the forestry aspect of things. Sure. So, we'll be right back. And oh, Lord, it makes me smile. Why, Bill, your sauce makes my baby hot. You nailed that sun, this sauce really hits the spot. So grab your chicken, shrimp, boiled eggs, pizza, or a big poke chop. I'm going to need that back. Why, Bill, your sauce makes my baby hot. Put your bills on it. Go check out Wild Bill Sauce on Instagram. Or on the web at wildbillsauce.com. If you'll enter the promo code CAMO, you'll get 25% off your purchase. Once again, that's wildbillsauce.com, promo code CAMO. This portion of the Pinstripes Camo podcast is brought to you by Hell Yeah Hot Sauce. That's H-A-L-E, Yeah Hot Sauce. Check them out on Instagram at Hell Yeah Hot Sauce or at hellyeah.co. That's H-A-L-E, Yeah dot C-O. All right, we're back. Tim, being in the pine belt, knowing that we're not going to grow gigantic deer here, unless you've got you grow fence. good deer, you can grow good deer, yeah. but you're not going to grow delta delta deer. Um, what are some things that you can do to grow better deer here? Well, so I'm a I'm a forester by by training, and so. Just because of the the nature of land ownership in Mississippi and the United States, I am in some degree a habitat manager. I mean, every forester who makes decisions about harvesting timber, planting timber, you know, prescribed fire, we're all managing habitat to one degree or another. The, the thing that I would want anybody, no matter how big of a place you own is, is to realize that you can't do everything. So uh, uh, if I have a new client, and let's, let's let's make somebody up. Let's just make this person up. They own they own uh, 640 acres, perfect section, one mile, one mile, one mile, 640 acres. And I sit down with them and I say, so I, I, for me to do the best job for you, I need to know what your goals are. What is it that would make, like what would owning this land? What would a win be for you? And if they look at me and I've gotten this answer before, I want to make as much money as I can and grow the biggest deer I can. And I have to say, if I'm being honest, that ain't gonna happen. Right. That, that, that you cannot do both of those things. And so. And we're talking it, about pine timber. Uh, yeah, but to some degree, it would it would be true on in hardwood plantation, uh, or it would be true to some degree on mixed age hardwood management. So, deer, if we just think about the animal, what they do to make a living nutritionally is they are opportunistic that is they eat a bunch of different stuff it's just whatever is available uh and their browsers they they you know you may think that deer is coming to your food plot and eating every afternoon but he's eating a bunch in between that he's he's browsing all kind of stuff and so the most beautiful forest you and i look at at least to our eyes when we look at them a lot of times just aren't good deer habitat because they don't have a lot of that early successional those weeds and forbs that that deer really that's what they would want to eat most of the time generally speaking 
and that doesn't exist there. And so they 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 have parts of the year where there's an abundance of mast crops. They get in those river bottoms, even around here, and they pick up those water oak acorns, and they love that, right? White oaks, we have some great white oak. The potential to grow great white oaks is here, right here in the Pine Belt. The problem is, 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 is if you take that 640 acres and, and, and he says, okay, well, I actually just want to make money. Yeah. Well, I'm going to create periods of that in that stand of timber. There are going to be periods where big chunks of that are going to be just basically a, a homogenous stand of pine, straw, pine litter on the ground and shade, which is a zero nutritionally. Now, deer use it for escape. Deer use it for, like, I'm not saying it's useless, but I am saying that it that you greatly limit the the ability for a deer to get nutritionally the amount of habitat he needs there on the other end of the spectrum if 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 the landowner said you know what i want i don't care about money i don't care about growing pine timber i just want to grow the biggest deer possible well i'm gonna have okay uh, all right well let's just harvest 75 percent of this timber and let's force a great majority of this into early successional stuff and what we're going to do is we're going to do a bunch of disking and burning and spraying and mm-hmm. it's always it's never going to look pretty but man it's going to be this the most deer habitat we can produce everybody wants to be in the middle right and so what this means practically speaking is we're going to do things like when we thin that pine timber if we're talking about pine timber we're going to thin more than is necessary and we're going to create more uh, sun, we're going to put more sunlight on the ground, and we're going to keep that, that that shade tendency that pine has. We're going to open up bigger windows between thinnings that there's shade, uh, rather there's sunlight on the ground. We're going to use fire to to push back succession, so we can have early successional plants every two or three years, depending on you know what we're doing. Two or three or four years, we're going to burn, um, which has some benefit. Well, at least, I was fixing to ask you, what burning, what would that, it uh, just opens it up? Well, uh, burning is especially useful in South Mississippi because we can control waxy species, so like yopine, um, privet's not waxy, but like the yopines and the things that tend, uh, gallberry, those things that aren't high on preference for, for whitetails, privet's actually pretty important, but we can control those with fire, with relative safety with the, with the pine stand. Um, and then it creates better logging conditions like like loggers when I sell a, a tract of timber and a logger pulls up on it and he says I'm not going to have to fight bushes I'm not going to have to I mean I can I can I can cut these cutter can go over there and cut trees pile them up skin them up and, I, and the loader's not going to have to be fighting through bushes that are non-merchantable all that kind of stuff so they're so thinning uh, committing some portion of the place to food plot something that is going to be a a a diverse area that's not that monoculture that so much pine plantation like it gives you that feeling of monoculture you know in the in in my world that that involves so much pine management there's actually a window of opportunity on the front end of a pine stand that's really phenomenal whitetail habitat it's that's you know we clear cut a place as long as we were wise in the chemicals we used to do the site prep we can have some really great whitetail habitat for the first two, three, four, five years of that stand of pine. The problem is it's going to shade out and turns into that monoculture right. we're talking about. So another thing we can do is we cannot manage the place as a single 
management unit on 640 acres. I mean, you, you pick the number, you do the division, but I could have 10 roughly 60-acre management units, and if I altered when those were clear-cut and re regenerated, I could at any given point have a pretty appreciable footprint of really great whitetail habitat. Right, and you're talking about 15, 20 years worth then, right? If you're saying, if, if you if you chopped it up that way. What well, you would, you would, at that point, you could always have something that was fantastic right. present right. On, on, on the place. You know, the, the guys that I hunt with, and this is what they kind of do, is a, two, two groups of people, it's a partnership, one group owns a timber company or timber business. Uh, you probably know Donald Timber, Charles Donald, Charles Donald Timber. Paul, what, Charles Donald Portwood, mm -hmm. yeah. So I won't say his name on the air, but one of my very favorite, uh, had me over for Halloween, my family over. He's a timber buyer for Charles Donald, uh, grows pumpkins every year. He'll know exactly who. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the guys I hunt with. Yeah. Um, the first year we had the place we have now, big oaks all over the place the next year started cutting it and i don't know if there's a reason for this but i'm seeing deer now that have thicker horns before i thought we had spindly horned deer and i wondered if the how long of a time between the time where you say we got spindly horned deer to where now you're saying four years five years i don't know if that's possible i don't know if it's possible i don't know but i wondered that you know because I felt like when they cut the timber, it made it, it made archery hunting a lot tougher because there's few trees that right. you can that you can climb. But I felt like they created a really good deer habitat with how they left it because it opened a lot of that land up. These big rolling hills, especially that were fully canopied and nothing's on the ground but leaves. And now you've got a lot of browse on the ground for deer. I'm sure you do. Those are super productive soils. Yeah. Super productive soils. And so I love big oak trees. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not, but but 640 acres of mature hardwood timber is not great whitetail habitat. Yeah. It's beautiful whitetail habitat. Right. But it's not. Too as, much canopy. It, it's, it, I mean. There's, there's nothing on the ground. Yeah, because nothing really gets through. And I'm not knocking mass production. Like acorns yeah. are important. They yeah, serve. They're a, only, what, three months a year? They serve months. a really important purpose. Uh, on you know, but but there's nothing else for them to eat. Yeah, yeah. But now that it's opened up, the deer. I feel like the deer have browse year round almost. And you know, down here as far as acorns, I guess mid December sometimes they're still eating acorns on the ground. Or later. Or I later. Mean, yeah. Yeah. So I I felt like that we've we're growing better deer now than we were then. Well, you got if, that was if you if you really and I haven't seen it, but if you went from from kind of canopy timber greatly shaded out to we cut that timber and whatever the Lord intended to grow there in early succession is there you you increased the quality and the quantity of nutritional yeah. availability yeah for it sure made, it made hunting harder though because I mean it's hard to kill a deer in archery season up there now um, you've almost got to have your food plots off and is it just crazy I mean let's talk about deer for a second how crazy is it how well they can hide like okay. Like just how you know, hunting in Kansas, like this is the prairie. This is like dances with wolves, looking places where where I get to hunt. And that's a movie, by the way, Hunter. Yeah, you can like I'm sitting I'm in a tree. I'm sitting in a tree stand. I'm like, there's not a deer here. There's yeah. like there's not a deer present anywhere. Mm -hmm. And I just turn my head and I'm like, there's a deer. 
Yeah. There's a deer. What, they live in this, mm-hmm. and it's it comes up to my waist. You know, most people think white-tailed deer are like five feet tall at the shoulder, like <laughs> a giant buck. A giant buck can hide under this table. Right. <laughs> like, so yeah, it's impressive. And and I even was guilty of that because I, you know, we've got this really big hill on one part of the property, and you can see two 250 acres from the top of this hill. And it's just sage and but which now there's some crp growing in it uh that they planted but i used to think that i could sit on that hill and watch deer go by all day and i sit up there and like i sit there for a couple of hours and never see a deer and going i know there's deer they there. are there they're there yeah. yeah and and yeah and then i shot there. a buck go ahead. i guess it was last year year before last i got down to to trail him because he ran into the woods I found blood. I walk into the woods. I come around a big cypress tree, and he's he was laying down next to the cypress tree, and he stood up from me across the table from you guys. And he's this tall. I was like, <laughs> I thought he was a lot bigger when I shot him, you know. But yeah, yeah, no, they're they're amazing. Yeah, they were they were made to do what they do really really well. Yeah. I mean, just their attentiveness. Uh, like I don't know if you've ever gotten to watch deer in a food plot with like a like a coyote for instance mm-hmm. i mean just there um i can think of like this this particular year an example of that i'm watching this i'm watching this this um uh, uh, crp field and i can see deer that are looking at something and I mean, you've done this. Like you're watching deer, you're watching deer, and you realize they're really paying attention to something. So you're like trying to figure out what they're paying attention to or right. whatever. And and um, it was a single coat, and and the coat got within. I mean, I don't want to exaggerate, but like the coat was probably twenty or thirty yards away from them. The deer were alert. They weren't alarmed. The coat went about its way. Like I used to think, if I see a coat hunting, I might as well go to the house. Like it's it's yes. over. But, I've got pictures of a buck and a coyote at a feeder together. Just one time. I mean, they're not heads touching, but they're they're within this table from each other. And so, coyotes can call. I mean, they predate whitetails. D- d- opportunities. I mean, like yeah, they going But whitetails are made to do what they do. Yeah. And between you know, I before I started hunting the place I'm hunting now, I used to think if you shot and missed a deer, you might as well go home too. But now it's gotten to the point where I shoot. <laughs> Five minutes later, there's four more deer in the fall. I'm always blown away by the, like, five-and-a-half-plus-year-old does. Man, there's nothing worse oh than having God. my hunt to have one of them come out. Like, close bow hunting, I'm like, oh, God. I'm and how frustrating is it that people talk about how, you know, like, there are does, there are five-and-a-half-year-old does that are spookier, harder to see, harder to kill That's than lots of five-and-a-half-year-old bucks. Like when I see them come out, I'm like, oh, is especially she, she got long ears. she got a phone? Oh, if she's yeah. got a phone... You're in a bind. Because I can literally sit there and have the wind perfect, and I just know I'm like, she's going to look at me in a minute. I'm 25 <laughs> feet up a tree, and all of a sudden she'll – and you're like, well, that's it. Well, you know the old saying from the book of Buckalations. Yeah. If a doe that if blows. A doe that, the doe yeah. that bloweth to, or a doe that bloweth to the skin and shed, she goeth. Yeah. <laughs> you sent me that in a text I did recently. Yeah, yeah. yeah. well, yeah, because right, did, did you ever decide what that was? All right, so we mentioned Steve Damaris earlier. I thought I'm going to have to eat some humble pie here. So a buddy of mine who is not a hunter, he's a pastor friend of mine, He's a but he's a country boy. He's a Texas guy, lives in East Texas, and he, and he played a – 
a recording on his iPhone of an animal that made a peculiar sound. To him, it was a peculiar sound. And he played the recording for me, and he was like, yeah, I asked some guys what this this is, and they were like, it's either a bobcat or a fox or something, they said. Well, I listened to it, and I was certain it was a dough blowing. I knew it was. That's the only thing it could have been. And I'm telling you, I, with just great arrogance, insisted that's what what it was. The first time I listened to it, that's exactly what I thought. Well, now we need like an example for Hunter and I. For I can play it. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how well it would work. But like, maybe maybe you can. I can play it on my phone, but I just don't know how well it would work. Well, well, tell us what it's about. So, right I, so I, so this is what Steve Damaris hates about me. We're not buddies or anything, but like every once in a while, like I was like, I need to call Steve Damaris. He will be able to confirm. I mean, the guy's like a deer scientist. Mm-hmm. He's going to hear this and he's going to be like, that's a deer, you know, game over. Tim, you're right about everything. So I, I send him a, a silly text and I'm like, please listen to this and tell me what it is. Well, a few hours later, he responds and says, I've passed this around to some of my colleagues. And even in the science, like these are the best brains in the world. When it, Like literally, these guys are really sharp guys. And they're like, we can't agree on what it is. Yeah. So, so one of them had said it was a great horned owl. One of them had said it was a fox. I never could get Dr. Damaris because he's really a, a sharp guy. He wasn't going to play this game with me. I, I basically begged him to like lie for me. I was like, man, if you'll just send me a text that says it's a dope. <laughs> <laughs> it was a dope. Steve Damaris said it was a dope. Well, he's not going to play that game. So he, he we, in the end, I became convinced ultimately that it was in fact a fox. I've got it. I've got it right here. Here we Let's go. see if I can play it. Suspenseful. Yeah. Is this a five minute video? I don't think so. <laughs> I mean it sounds like a deer. I was I was convinced. Like I just knew that's what it was. It had a raspiness, like just yeah. a, a hint of it you I could, could hear. You could but I could definitely say, Oh, as a doe. You know. If I heard that in the woods one time and that's I wasn't paying deer. attention, that's a deer. Yeah. That's Absolutely. a deer. For sure. How, how many people have ever heard? Naturally in the wild, I'm, we're getting off topic, but a buck roar. I have not. I've never. I've, I've never seen, heard. Now I've seen a dog, catch dog, get on one, he'll roar then. Yeah, I've never uh, seen I've But never you know, roar. They, they mass market those calls, like get this buck roar grunt call, and I'm like, well, I've been doing this a long time, I've never heard a buck roar. <laughs> what about the, the, I'm not saying they don't. The old Primo's uh, snort wheeze. Yeah, I've never seen one. I have done that from the stand in a bind. If I get a deer that's moving away from me, and in my mind, I'm like, I'm yeah. gonna do a snort wheeze. So I'll, you know, but have, has it ever like worked magic? No. I've always been scared to do it because I've never heard it, and I don't want to make the wrong sound. And I tell you, I, I promise, grunting up deer is a real thing. Oh, like, no, it is real. absolutely it like is. Mo- like I'm looking at a deer way way off. Wind conditions are right. It's quiet. I grunt, and that deer, without a question, becomes curious about what I am. Now, I've never had them come in sideways, bristled up, ready to fight, but just the deer's curiosity, I've moved yeah. several, many times, I've moved bucks around with a grunt call. Dr. Damaris, I, when do you think rattling is most effective? I'd always thought early, you know, early pre-rut. Yeah, but what time of day? Uh, before when I'm in day, the woods? Before daylight. Before daylight. That's <laughs> With my Cubane. <laughs> no, like, I, I listened to Dr. Pepper some of them, and they did this huge study, and I don't know if they did it or their colleagues did it in Texas, where they went and rattled 
at this place that was a controlled area, you know, so many thousands of acres. They had a rattler on the ground. They had somebody had elevated tower. above them. You know this. Yeah. It was like 3 to 5 p.m. was the best time. Yeah, I was like, what? I, I thought you were like, supposed I'm to ride 10 a.m. I was yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, they were like, no, the best results, you know, just overwhelmingly were three to five. I mean, L- it wasn't louder like, the better, louder the better, mm-hmm. wind matter. I mean, it's all these things that we know, but we yeah. want to imagine from watching TV, like if, well, you know, I'm going to go out and rattle it at noon. And, it, and by the way, I said three to five. It may have been four to six. I just know it was late afternoon. The two, the two, it was early morning, and it, it was when you're going to be hunting anyway. Yeah, it was when you're going to be hunting, but I've, I've always been taught, you know. I've never rattled after lunch. No, no, I've never had either. Just as a policy. I have rattled it daily. <laughs> just as a personal policy. Because I know it's going to get dark and I'm not going to get to hunt more. You know, so yeah. it's like, I don't want to screw this up before dark. I have rattled it daylight up till 9 or 10. Not all day. I'm just saying I've right. hit those times up, but never in the afternoon. Never would have thought to. No, I've done it in the morning. But never. I was with a guy when I was a younger, much younger, a guy named Mark Scroggins. He's a champ of a guy. And uh, he used to have a, a turkey hunt. He used to, We had a hunting show called The Fever. And, and uh, I was with him in Wheeler County. To, I was in Wheeler, Texas, just just to the south and east of Dalhart. So up in the Panhandle, big white tails, awesome country. Well, I had never really rattled any. I'd never seen it before. I mean, again, I grew up hunting in South Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Even if they move the deer around, you can't see them. I mean, there are lots of places I hunted as a kid and still hunt today, as a matter of fact, where you could rattle and a deer could run up within 30 yards of you, and you might hear it, but you couldn't see it. There's no way you would see it. I watched that. I, I, he rattled, and, and these deer start appearing and, and studying and running towards you. Know, it's incredible. It's incredible. But I've it's really the only time I've ever seen it where I was like, that's like TV. I have a forestry question for you, especially for South Mississippi. I don't know what plant it is. If I had to guess, it looks like some kind of like privet hedge. But it's an invasive species, and it's only mostly – as far as the state, it's not in the Delta. It's everywhere you look. And it looks like privet hedge? It's not invasive. That I, I think not? Okay. I think you're talking about Yopon. It could be Yopon. Yeah. What is the deal? Because you can't do, like, I drive from my Richardson location the other day to our Ellisville location. I believe that's 15. And there's national forest there. You cannot shoot a deer more than seven feet away <laughs> because of this plant. And it's like, I'm sure it's great cover, but I know it doesn't offer nutrition, I wouldn't think. It's like the, it's, it's kind of like it's important for songbirds. It is okay. That's it's awesome. Great nesting habitat. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, we're again, talking about the little small green leaves and a light gray bark. That's it. Yeah, I yeah. hate that stuff. It's got a waxy leaf. Now, privet looks very similar, but doesn't have a waxy leaf. Yeah. Uh, and but where does know, that end in the state? Is it a soil thing? Is where it comes from? Uh, so uh, it's much less prevalent if you go. So like maybe. It's much spottier over a Mitt Wilkinson County over over in that part of the world, uh, but as you come back east, just the the exclusion of fire from our pine habitat, uh, how successful it can be, yopon in in, in re- reproducing from rootstock from seed source. I mean, we've just made a yopon factory, and a lot of what I do as a forester on the site prep side is spray. A particular chemical to control garline. I mean, it's called garline, uh, but triclopyr, and and it, it's in the tank to control waxy species. Very often, yopon. So it can control it. <laughs> what do you mean by control? Okay. <laughs> like I mean, we can push it back really hard, but we're not going to eliminate it with okay. a, with, a, with a single herbicide treatment. 
Okay. So you're going to be spraying it the rest. If you have it on your land, you'll spray it the rest of the time. You'll Best case scenario is to is to, is to is to go at it intensively with a with a herbicide treatment before the pine trees are in the ground. Knock it back. That's that's a real that's a scientific word. Knock it back so you can get successful, um, you know, seedling survival of the pine trees. Good planting conditions. Grow it out, and as soon as you thin that, you're still going to have a residual yopine. When you thin those pine trees, it's on a good site. It's say 12 or 13 years old. You're going to have a residual yopine component. You're going to put light on the ground. The yopine's going to bloom out, but now you can use fire, and okay. and you can you can. When, we, when you talk about controlling it, fire is going to be the component. Does the herbicide, can you spray that when you have pine in the ground, or will it kill the pine? Uh, you can't. It, it, you can safely spray it in the understory. So if you, like, you can spray this particular, the mode of action on this chemical that I'm talking about, triclopyr, uh, you can get on the bark at label rates of pine trees without any problem. Okay. So so if we, what you're picturing, Yes. If you're picturing tall pine trees and yopine in, in the under in the understory, using skitter application or even, you but know, if you're in the sapling stage, you can't do that. Uh, that's that would not be on label. Okay, it, that's a. I was just curious how they control. And it's too early to use fire. Yeah. So the pine trees do well with the yopine. Uh, like yopine, in my experience with with doesn't kill pine trees so to speak no you just can't see more than 12 inches well it makes terrible logging conditions too yeah. i mean it's but and it's a zero for i mean it's just not an important white i mean again like it does nothing for songbirds yeah welcome all right welcome to a wonderland so all right i had a game warden tell me this 20 years ago he was talking about all the guys putting out corn and he swore he said stop putting out corn he said, "Put out fertilizer on briars, green briar." Yeah, would you agree with that? Smilex. That, uh, <clears throat> I've so, never done it. Uh, I have. The, so, corn's carbohydrate. Corn serves an important purpose. It's very desirable by de like deer love it. There's it's no like doubt. Candy to them, but it yeah, there's a ton of nutrition. But you know, there's a time. There's a time when it's important. I mean, it can. Uh, it, it's not that it's bad for deer, of course. Right. But the tonnage that is created when you take a good native species like, so you mentioned Greenbrier, Smilax, tastes good. I could, I could pick Smilax and put it on a salad and you'd like it. I mean, it's very palatable. Uh, and the reason you don't see it a lot of times because deer pound it. I mean, they, they pound it. I mean, it's a, yeah. it's, a great, it's a great foods. They love it. Fertilize that. Fertilize you know, dewberry, blackberry, those things that they browse, and the tonnage that's created per dollar you spend, I mean, outruns corn. Right. So, but the question is, are well, you we trying to put corn out anyway? If, if, yeah, it never happens. Nobody, well, no, no, we can't, like, we're, legally, we're not supposed to put corn out. CWD zone, he is. Warren County? Mm -hmm. We are the southernmost. Yeah. part of the CW because of the big black separates Warren and Claiborne mm -hmm. and that's where we're at well thank goodness because deer don't cross that river deer. no, no. <laughs> I, have, I thought it was the dumbest thing they said it at the at the. I river. gotta be careful it sounds like I'm picking on a I mean somebody had to make that decision no, and they did it and, 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 they and I'm made sure it. they had reason right that's what but I'm, I'm I being funny for no like, reason okay Warren County and the entire county is under this you know supplemental feeding ban for, for corn, salt licks, things like that. 
I said, there's a greater chance of a deer swimming across the Big Black River than there is a deer crossing I-20. Oh, so yeah. So I was like, well, well yeah. if you're going to do it here, you might as well extend it to Claiborne. But, you know, but I get it. There's I'm not a wildlife reason. biologist, and I, I can't, I can't, I can't, would never want to speak to the severity. Like, I don't know how dangerous CWD is in Mississippi. I know it's been a big deal in other places, right. and we have really high deer densities especially in some of these areas that have great soils and and what we said we had the highest uh deer density in, in the country yeah the highest deer density in the country we looked that up per a, square a mile I back. it was uh mississippi had the most deer per square mile in the country it was like 30 you can't see it because of the yopon or whatever it all comes back to yopon yeah. yeah i have a question though about uh we were talking about feeding a little bit with corn um I have no data to back what I'm thinking here, but I always see, you know, like a lot of people, if you don't want to feed, you get aff- aflatoxins in there, it can kill them, it's bad for turkeys. I just don't feel like there's anywhere near the amount of corn being put out by deer hunters that equals the amount of corn that is left on the ground in corn fields that is put in the same conditions. If I'm wrong, Tell me, but you know, I hear people say like, "Well, you're putting out corn, you're, you're poisoning stuff." I'm like, "Can I just what make an e- farmer?" Let me make an educated guess, but yeah. that and it's all, it's a moderately educated guess. Mm-hmm. I think the moisture conditions that are created when you pile corn, mm-hmm. uh, put corn on the ground. We live in a terribly humid environment, and I think there therein is some of the danger of supplemental feeding in Mississippi. Whereas, if you go to an agricultural field, the waste grain is dries after a rain event after a dew event whatever it dries so much more quickly that the 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 environment for some of this stuff these fungal components that are so dangerous i think they're that makes sense they're limited think about it like that but let me ask you this do you uh, you may have an opinion i could have been completely wrong about what i just said what i'm guessing what i I have a question about is we talked about as long as you sound good like i like (laughs) i go through these seasons in my life where i work out and i always tell my wife i don't want to be strong i just want to look strong like i don't need to be smart if i just sound smart that's good (laughs) we talked about it before though like i've never understood the broadcast law because if a guy puts a broadcast feeder up and doesn't move it for like five years but keeps it full of corn and it broadcasts every day I feel like you're you're still creating a high CWD transfer area. That'd be something. Because there's a ton of fecal matter and saliva that's going to be on that same ground. I just know people that have feeders that have never moved that are broadcasts, and I'm like, dirt. It's just dirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I I'd love to listen to a show where y'all had somebody on that could speak to that with some well, we've talked some about knowledge. Having a biologist on here that had something to do with the CWD stuff in the state, and I'm not. Off the top of my head, I don't there's know, piles of guys that do what I do that call themselves wildlife biologists. But I'm telling you, if you're a wildlife biologist, like th- these guys, I would never claim to be a wildlife biologist. Right. Like I'm not a wildlife scientist. I'm a I make habitat decisions, and it just happens to be really interesting to me. And I love to hunt, and so I perhaps know more than some people would about this stuff. But you get some of these guys we've already named in here. It'd be fascinating to ask them these questions. It's, right. I mean, now I'd have a laundry list of questions to ask. Yeah, I'm like a sixth grader. I'm like, what's the biggest deer you've ever seen? What's the, <laughs> like, how fast can you run? How fast? <laughs> well, Tim, we're going to have to get you on here again because this was fun. There's no way we covered a quarter of what we could have covered tonight, probably. So um, we'll just pick another date down the road and 
I had a great time. This was it. It was much fun for me too. Thank yeah. you. Thank so, you. We'll uh, we'll do it again in the near future. Hunter, still wait. Until next time. Until next time. Matt, you got anything else? Duck season's over. Yeah, what, what, man. What's I, next? So turkey season. Yeah, I, and I like turkey hunting, but I, I'm not nearly as hardcore about it. I, you know, we, I coach baseball with my son. Like not on your level, but like you know, ten. No, it's better than mine. Who wants to wake up at four thirty in the morning, twelve days in a row to try? I mean, I've yeah. done it, but yeah, I mean, I w- I'm going to go some, uh, but I'll get into fishing. Uh, I, w- I told Shelly, my wife, on the way home. I said, look, I like, I, there's nothing wrong with me. I said, but like, this is the worst day of the year for me usually. Did it, uh, Driving so, home because I know I'm like I'm not going back. You to have the to Delta. grieve it. You have to I, grieve it. I literally grieve it. And we went out and killed one duck this morning. Well, that, and I'm grieving it. That's that tells you how dumb it is. I wrote an article last week about that very thing, except for my experiences with deer uh, deer hunting. I yeah. called it deer depression. <laughs> so, like, I was like, man, I'm really grateful that there's not a big gap between deer season and baseball season mm-hmm. for me. Yeah, or I'd be in a bad way. All right, so I know I'm not a host on the show. I want to ask this question though because right. it's interesting. If you could only do one outdoor sport, right? So there's no right answer, but you can only do one. Are you duck hunting? Absolutely not. It depends if he has on that sense, he's not duck hunting. I would say, uh, I, honestly, if if there's ducks, I'm duck hunting because it's action packed. You know, now if you're qualifying your answer, I know. I'm, I'm telling you to pick one. I'm not a host. I'm not trying to take you. What probably is, probably bow hunting over for, for, for over rifle. Ben, Ben, yeah, over rifle. Because I, I can shoot a doe and be Hunter? pumped. I would head out. To the triple rig, twenty miles offshore, and oh, I would sit no, there all day long. That'd be like number four yeah. on my list. <laughs> Amberjack. No, I don't want to go that far snapper. all the time. That's a snapper. International That's the water thing. snapper. That's the thing. No, international water redfish. Redfish. I love to catch and release international water redfish. Wrong gauge hooks. Oh, what about you? Turkeys. No. Deer. Big deer. Big deer. Yeah, I told somebody today that if deer hunt, if deer season and turkey season overlapped, I'd deer hunt. If I could only do one, I'd deer hunt. I would too. I love, I mean, I love catching a big bass. I love, not that I've caught a huge bass, but I like a great day fishing is great. A great day turkey hunt is great. A great day duck hunt is great. But if you talk about just what, what I get the greatest pleasure and satisfaction from, it's, it's, it's not only the opportunity to, to like maybe harvest a big animal, but just sitting in the stand and watching these ecological systems carry on is just magic right. to me i agree with that it's great fun it's getting more now where i mean even just two years ago i was all about what am i gonna kill but now when my kids hunting and stuff it's fun just going with them before we go none of your daughters have ever showed any interest in hunting uh i've tried uh so my oldest daughter has killed a deer she would not be interested in going back Number two has been with me when I've killed a deer. Uh, she's never shown any interest. My third daughter has killed a deer, has shown no interest in going back. Fourth daughter, no interest. Fifth daughter, she says that she wants to go, and I probably should take her. Yeah. You going to keep going till you get a boy? <laughs> <laughs> we, so we adopted our fifth daughter. So we had four daughters and adopted the fifth. I couldn't have afforded to have had a boy like if my wife gets pregnant right now and has a boy we have to buy all new clothes yep. have to paint bedrooms new toys that's been the nice thing about having girls at our house everything's poor alley yeah it's been worn twice see the, the writing's on the wall but i'm i'm ready for it shelly's always said that's fine matt you have your two boys but in about six years when you go up there to the camp 
I don't have them anymore. Right. And so now that's the way, and I'm like, well, it's still fun. But you think about it, like it's getting where I'm not really hunting now. Bow season. That's why I said bow season. Yeah, I get that's to your hunt. time. I get to hunt bow season. But Ma- once, once guns are involved, nah, I don't get to hunt that much. Mackenzie likes to go by myself. But I, yeah. I hunt a lot. But no, no. <laughs> Mackenzie likes to go, but I don't know if it's so much she likes to go or if she likes to be to appease dad. Mm-hmm. Now she's killed a deer the last three years each year. So oh, she's probably enjoying it. I, I should mean, take my I should take my youngest daughter hunting. I tell you, I tell you what, I'm not. I, I'm one of the, I hear people say this all the time, and I want to be able to say it, but they're like, I don't care anything about killing turkey. I just like calling them up for people. I have not killed enough turkey. I have not killed enough turkeys that, like, if I'm in the woods and a turkey comes up, that I'm like, I don't care about shooting it. I get just as much pleasure as you should. Like, no, nah, I want to kill it. I've never killed a turkey. Ever. And I've said that on two or three shows now. Hoping that one of these guys will like. <laughs> not gonna happen. Calling a turkey. <laughs> I told you, I had access to the Delta, and he'll probably confirm this. To me, it's way better turkey hunting outside of the Delta. Right. And well, so it kind of flips. You know, it's great deer and duck. And it goes, there where I've seen a lot of birds. Yeah, there's. I'm sure there's some. Well, we have birds. Hunting. We have birds, but yeah. we just don't have a lot. Here, here's a funny story. I went out, uh, drove to Kansas, 13 and a half hours. Got there right at dark. Roosted a turkey, went to sleep, woke up three hours later, killed a turkey. Do you know, like, do you know how disappointing it is? One, one turkey, mm-hmm. where where my place is in Kansas. Do you know how disappointing it is to like pull the trigger and be like, yeah. Now what? <laughs> like, I'm 13 and a half hours from my bed. And it's over. It's over. But now, if I kill a giant whitetail, it's a great trip home. But like. Again, here we here we are. I mean, I would choose to deer hunt. Yeah. Now, if I killed a turkey 13 hours away, I'd, it'd be fun for me because I've never killed a turkey. Before. So. All right. Well, we'll wrap it up. Um, once again, thanks, Tim. Great we'll time. Have you on again. It's fun. And until uh, next time, thanks. While you're scrolling through Facebook, check out Mr. Nice Guy Catering and Food Truck, and then have a look at our friend Jason Justice for Orange Beach, Alabama provides all the music for Pinstripes to Camo Podcast.